Hey, thanks so much for joining me today on the Cocktie Podcast. I'm your host, Gary. In case you're new to the show, I'm the editor and resident monarch here at FortNerd.com. Yep, that's right. I wear a tiara, and I'm damn proud of it. You may have seen me as the DM for Quest for the Cure, or Icehole's Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, as Cicero on Cyberpunk Independence, as Doc on Scribes and Scrolls, or sailing on the SS Failboat over a Talon and Claw. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the show or follow us on social media at FortNerd.com. That's at FortNerd, D-O-T-C-O-M, or both. Both works for me, but whatever works for you is fine. So, big news in the past weekend, D&D Live was finished, and it was chock full of incredible news and streams, and a huge announcement of the book they've been teasing, releasing in October, Fizban's Treasury of Dragons. So, it isn't Dragonlands based on the previous Unearthed Arcana like we thought, at least not yet, but it is the Draconomicon Reborn, which was also suspected. And Fizban is our guide to dragons. The new book will introduce gem dragons to 5th edition for the first time. It's going to tell the story of the first world and the role that Bahamut and Tiamat played in his creation and destruction. It's going to provide new character options that will include draconic ancestries for dragonborn, dragon-themed subclasses for monks and rangers, and include, of course, new feet and spell options. It's going to provide dungeon masters everything they need to craft adventures inspired by dragons across many worlds of D&D, including new dragon lair maps and details on 20 different kinds of dragons. It'll prevent present a complete dragon bestiary and provide a variety of new dragons and dragon-related creatures, including aspects of the dragon gods, dragon minions, and more. Sounds like it's going to be awesome, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what the final product looks like. Of course, the alternate cover looks amazing as well. They also announced the finalists of the top 10 DMs in the recently announced Wizards Done DM contest. And our past guest and friend to the show, Andrew Bishkinski, is one of the finalists. Andrew's a prolific author and has written many, many D&D supplements, including for Dungeons & Dragons Adventures League and others. His recently completed Kickstarter, Den of Assassins, was 1,000% funded. So congratulations, Andrew. That's huge news. I'm really pulling for you. In Quest for the Cure news, Flip Flop and Chop raised $800 for Jesse's Journey this past weekend, with an incredible cast of characters including D20 and Neofet, and of course, our standout DM, Crucian. Now, of course, $350 of that came from waxing my mustache off. Yes, there's a video. And yes, I'll include it in the show notes. If you want to play with us in a future game, you can. Well, maybe. For every $25 you donate between now and July 28th, you earn a chance to win a seat in our next Quest for the Cure series game. Yep, that's right. You could play D&D with Ed Greenwood, the father of the Forgotten Realms, Amy Lynn DeZura, Blair Brown, Emma Wakelin, and Eric Morden. Donate 100 bucks. That's four chances. You, you don't want to miss this. My guest today is Kate Greer. They're a graphic designer, a writer, and their Norse-inspired designs will make anything you do kick ass. Kate is partnered with Talon and Claw to make his amazing stuff better with their designs, and they talk about the challenges of making a full-time living in the creative space. It was a great chat. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kate Greer. Hey, Kate, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here. <laughs> so I always like to ask people... Uh, a similar question because we're all united by our passion for sort of gaming and being in the gaming space. So what was your first experience with gaming in general? 
Um, so my roommate and I moved down to, or rather up to Tallahassee where we're currently living um, two years ago. And one of her friends that already lived up here runs a game every week. And she had connected us in the hopes that he could, he might have some work that, that I could do for him. So when he invited me to come over to talk about work, the invite was, well, come on over on game night and you can join our game and we'll have like five minutes beforehand to talk about work stuff. And what was the game? It was D&D. Okay. Um, he, he invited me as a one-shot guest. It was about a month before we moved up. We were up looking for apartments and things. Um, and left it as an open invitation. Hey, if you enjoyed this, come on back. Um, which didn't end up happening because we got really busy and then the pandemic hit. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was a fantastic night. It was so much fun rolled my first nat 20 <laughs> to kill the big bad. So that was, that was really awesome. So would you say if you were thinking about a memory that from that first game that really stoked your passion for it, was it that, was it that nat 20 and being the hero at the end or was it something different? Honestly, it was just how welcoming and inviting the space was. Um, it was, it was such a good experience. Just, people I had never met before, um, a guy I had only talked to briefly, who I only knew through my roommate, and they just kind of welcomed me in and said, here, now you're part of the family. I, I think we're a little spoiled uh, in our space because of how welcoming and generous everybody is. Because obviously not a lot of fandoms are like that. I mean, of course, we have the people who might not necessarily be described in that way, but generally speaking, I think most of the folks that at least I've been fortunate to interact with have been wonderful. It does seem to be a very inclusive space on the whole. Um, there are always expect exceptions to every rule in every space, but yeah, everybody I've encountered in, in the TTRPG gaming community has really, really just been open arms, super welcoming and I mean, when I think of gaming, I'm, I'm much more of a video gamer. I played Magic the Gathering back in high school when it was still like third gen <laughs> and early, early cards, um, which is showing my age, but that's okay. <laughs> so I, it's, not, it's not usually the first thing that comes to mind when I think gaming, because I mean, I've been a video gamer since I was a kid and the Ataris were all the rage. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's something I've really enjoyed adding to my gaming space, if that makes sense. Totally. So you're a writer, um, you're a graphic designer, you're a layout artist, you are a multi-talented creative. But what segment of the arts served as your introduction to creativity? How old were you when you first started interacting with the creative arts and what was your first passion like what drew you into it I mean I've been I've been drawing since I was little um it was always my favorite part of school um 
you know, the, the school art shows that are really kind of ridiculous, but they're, they're cute and fun anyway, especially when you're in elementary school. It was, it was always one of those things that I was a part of. Um, in middle school, the way my district worked is that uh, for electives, you had your first two years in middle school, you had to take all three. And one was shop, one was art, and one was home ec. And then in eighth grade in your last year, you got to choose one of them to do the whole year. And always without fail, I chose art class. Um, and all through high school, it was art class. And it, I had planned to make that my major, which didn't end up happening. I ended up going into something completely different. And then somehow once again, found my way back into the art world. Um, and started doing graphic design, which sometimes I love even more and sometimes I absolutely hate because it can be so corporate, <laughs> but you got to pay the bills, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I have, I've had arthritis since I was four years old. Um, so it's kind of advanced right now. And as I got older, my my hand coordination started be to become really affected. So those, those traditional medias aren't something I play around with too much anymore. I mean, I, I still dig my sketch pad out and draw hands. I love drawing hands for some reason. Everybody hates them, but I love hands. Um, they're just so expressive. But having segued into graphic design and computer-aided design and all of that, made a huge difference because I could suddenly unlock a lot of that creativity again that my chronic illness had stolen from me. Um, and now we've got affordable art tablets out there that anybody can pick up for a much more reasonable price than they used to be. Um, and I, I purchased one last year and I've started getting back into like computer-aided drawing now, which the Zoom function is my favorite thing ever, <laughs> Zoom and layers. Uh, so it's become much more accessible to me again. Um, but in those years that I wasn't so much doing art, I had really kind of segued into writing, which was always something I'd done a little on the side and got really involved in and was involved in the publishing space a lot. And that's still where I get a lot of my my graphic design stuff because I do work for authors who are self-publishing. I do book covers, I do interior layouts. Um, so it's really been fun to see all of it merge into one space. All right. So we're going to, we're going to segue into my questions about your writing and the, and the, lay, and the <laughs> layout space. Cause I was going to talk about TTRPGs. We're going to, we're going to streamline it. Um, you, you, as you said, you've been, you've done a lot of writing and you have a number of credits to your name when you're working on a piece of writing, whether it's a shorter piece of flash fiction or a larger, more uh, fulsome work, where do you start? Um, I've actually gotten this really streamlined. I, I do a first pass and just get the basic setup like page size and what fonts I'm going to use. Um, 
all the really super easy stuff and get the, the, um, oh shoot, what's it called? <laughs> the styles, the style sheet worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, because once that's worked out, I can really kind of sink into it and prettify things. But yeah, the, the first step is always just getting that, that basic space put together so that, um, I can really get a better visual of what it's going to look like. Um, and then from there I can, I can work on things like, what am I going to do with the chapter headings and how am I going to make certain things stand out depending on the type of book it is. Um, and I, I usually do several passes through, like I'll work on all of the chapter headings and then I'll go through and hit uh, like page break type things, um, section breaks. And, and then my last pass will be to go through and really make sure everything's come together and that I haven't missed anything. And, but it's, it, it really has gotten into a very streamlined process for me now. How does doing book layouts, book covers, and graphic design differ? Because while they seem similar, it does seem like it would require a slightly different set of skills. Like, how, how are they different and how are they the same? Well, doing a layout is much more about the spatial relationship, I guess, if that makes sense. It's, it's making sure everything looks good on the page and that you've tied all of your elements together. Whereas doing something like a, like a cover design, I'll usually pull a lot of my interior elements from the cover design if an author already has that. I try to make sure that things like the fonts match or are sympathetic to each other. Um, but a, a cover design is something completely different because not only is it about making up the space, but you've got that one shot visual representation of what the book is about. So you re- need it to really bring all of the interior elements together in one piece that's going to entice the reader. So the interior is about making sure it all is comfortable to read and looks good, but the cover is about enticement. Do you, um, ha- do you have to read the book to know what it's about before you do the cover or does the author just give you- It depends. Yeah. Sometimes the author has an idea of exactly what they want on the cover. Um, if they don't they just say I need a cover for this then I will yeah I'll usually ask to read the book first um especially if I'm doing the formatting for it as well so when when you're writing and what is the most important part of telling a good story oh man Um, There's no easy questions here on the Cocktail Podcast. That is no definitely soft, not. No softballs. Okay. <laughs> that is definitely not an easy question. Um, I mean, it's it's all about, I guess probably the most important thing is being true to the story. And I will say that's one thing that 
can frustrate me when I'm reading is if I read a book that suddenly goes off somewhere that I'm like that 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 doesn't feel like the rest of the story what did you just do <laughs> um and I've encountered that in my own writing where it will it will be going in one direction and all of a sudden it takes this hard left turn and you're like I did not plan that what are you doing <laughs> uh, but that's also the fun thing about writing is that because it can sometimes take on a life of its own and the characters can take on a life of their own and you hear authors talk about it all the time. Um, it's fun seeing where it takes you and then the work is making sure it all works together. When, when you're writing, do you, do you try and stick with consistent themes? Do you try and write something a bit different each time? Is it a combination of the two where you're trying to go in a bit of different, different direction, but you want a hint of what you've written before? I don't think I ever think about that, to be honest. Um, when I'm writing, it's because I've had this idea that has pulled at me and I want to see where it goes. And I don't usually care about whether it's similar to what I've written before or not. So it's the idea that's the thing. It's the idea that's the thing. All right. Would you say that you're particularly passionate about any of the elements of your work, whether it's graphic design or book layout, more than the others, or is it all just sort of one comprehensive part of what you're doing now? Um, I mean, so much of the creative journey, whether it's writing or it's visual art or... I, any kind of creative journey is that that creative spark. And I think I think honestly it differs for all of us. Um, but it always has a tendency to pull at the things that are important to you. And for me, the things that are important are family and found family, especially. Um, true, deep, meaningful friendships. Um, and to be quite frank, the queer community um, of which I'm proudly a part. So there, there are always themes that bleed into my work um, because they're important to me. But I don't think I, I ever really go in purposely looking to put those in, if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. So speaking of found family, as you know, uh, I am very close mm -hmm. to Anthony from Talon and Claw, with whom you've collaborated quite extensively. <laughs> um, you've you've done um, providing designs for Dice Faults and a whole bunch of different collaborations in the TTRPG space. Why are these collaborations important to you, both personally and as uh, to your career? And how do, like, how do they happen? Walk me through what, what that's all about. How do you even pitch something like that to somebody? To be honest, it was an accident. <laughs> Which, honestly, all of the best things are. Um, the funny thing about being a creative and trying to make a, a life out of it is that that 
part of you that has to be corporate and market yourself and all of that is sometimes really hard for us because all we want to do is just make pretty things. Um, I had stumbled on Talon and Claw and Anthony and I've always had a, a soft spot for woodworking, which is not something I do myself, but I, I love wood and it just, it calls to me in a way that, I don't know, I love it. Um, so I had really found a love for his passion for the dice vaults and the woods that he works with and the, the passion that he puts into it um, and had started thinking about, you know, I would really love to be able to one day put one of my designs out of vault for me. So I was playing around with those. And just because I'm a creative and I like to have validation, I'd thrown them up on Twitter. And Jay, 88 Riddles, um, mm -hmm. had seen them. And we started getting a dialogue back and forth and talking about them. And I threw a couple others up because it was just something fun that I was playing with. And it was, it was a nice breather for me to just do something with no purpose. Um, and then Anthony got in on it and started commenting on it. And the three of us just kind of had this feedback loop and he ended up DMing me and saying, Hey, we're doing this Kickstarter soon. Would you like to be a part of it? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, dream come true here. <laughs> of course, I would like to be a part of it. Uh, and I, I started out with a couple of designs and then ended up with, I think, we threw eight of them at the Kickstarter. Um, and they were far more popular than I had anticipated, uh, which was really cool and very validating. Um, so Anthony came back and started asking if I would be interested in a few other things. Um, we've, we've talked about the coasters, which I think um, he's already shown some of them online that he's doing at both Ren Fairs and will eventually go in the shop. Um, mm -hmm. There's a couple other projects that he and I are both working on. And it's, it's just turned into this hey, I want to do this thing. Have you got a design for it? I'm like, sure, let me throw this design at you. Or I'll work on something and I'd go, hey, is this something you're interested in? He's like, yes. <laughs> so it's, it's just a very fun and relaxed, cooperative relationship that we have. Um, and one that I honestly never expected, which again, those are always end up being the best ones. Yeah, I mean, the the story of so as you know, um, Anthony, myself, Travis, and Jake play Sea of Thieves every Sunday, and that was completely by accident. I, Anthony and I happened to be at a charity table uh, last year for Jasper's Game Day, and I was just starting this podcast, and he's like, "I'd love to be a guest." So he was actually my first guest, and he's like, "Oh yeah," That's and we're cool. we're doing this Twitch thing. Why don't you come play with us once in a while? Sure. So we played together for three weeks in a row. The third or fourth week, Jake happened into the chat, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I've played Sea of Thieves," and Anthony's like, "Well, shit, you should come play with us." And that's just sort of how this whole this whole nonsense started so yeah and it's I, turned into a thing yeah right like it's just this <laughs> accidental thing that nobody saw coming and now it's like the four the four of us are the best of friends so 
And it's all because I paid a hundred dollars to play in a game at Jasper's game day. And uh, Jake happened to be in our chat one day and that's it. Yeah. Um, now a lot, you know, people have interacted with you on, on social media and through your designs, uh, through your web shop or through Anthony's Kickstarter. Um, what's one thing about you that might surprise people? Um, I am extremely introverted. <laughs> like I will probably go take a nap when we're done here because that's so much interaction. Um, I'm, I'm introverted. I'm also autistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we mentioned a little bit my physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I was always a very, very active person when I was younger. And I say that to people and they'd look at me and go, no, you're not. I'm like, oh, yes, you have no idea. Um, and it's funny because it's informed so much of who I am, but it's still always shocking to me when people look at me and go, no, you can't be because you do this and this and this. And I'm like, Oh no. Well, it's uh, introverted or not. I haven't had to pull any answers out of you. So as far as I'm concerned, this has been great. (laughs) I appreciate that. You're not making me work for this, for this interview. That's the most important thing to me. Um, So You've created lots of unique designs and, and you've done stuff in the TTRPG space. You've done stuff outside of the TTRPG space. You've do, done um, queer supporting stickers related to D&D and all of that stuff is really cool. Where do you get your inspiration? Like thinking of the, you know, uh, be gay, do crimes. It's the rogue way sort of idea for that, that line of stickers. And what are some of your personal favorites of all of the things that you've designed that folks might've seen in the last year or so in your time in the TTRPG space? What are your, what are your favorites? Uh, well, I, I get, I get my inspiration everywhere. I, I can be sitting there staring at the TV and something will just jump into my head and I'm like, oh, I should make a design like that. That was actually how the Big Do Crimes Rogue came about. And that was what kicked off that whole series was I started with the Rogue and went, I should do one for each of the classes. And it just turned into a thing. <laughs> um, and those actually might be some of my favorite things that I've done this year. Uh, the vault designs also, some of those which started because I was working on a tattoo design for myself <laughs> that I'm still working on, but it turned into the, the Yggdrasil Nine Realms vault design that kicked off all of that. Um, but probably the thing I'm proudest of this year was, I don't, I don't know if you saw it or not, but the, that Nine Realms design that I turned into a full-on poster complete with um, like I pulled in all of these different elements from Norse mythology, um, Hathi and Skull and Hugin and Munin and the Well of Erder and it just yeah it's probably the thing I'm proudest of that I've done in the last year because it just turned out so beautifully. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna track the design down and I'll, I'll put it in the show notes because I didn't see it and now now I'm curious. Some of I'll uh, send it to you. <laughs> thank you. Some of the I don't want to say a lot because I haven't seen all of your work, but a, a proportion of your work is related to seems to be inspired by Norse themes or or iconography. Why is that? Um, a lot of it's my heritage. Uh, I have. Uh, quite a bit of Scandinavian heritage, actually. Uh, and it's it's always something that has interested me. Uh, mythology in general, mythology and religions throughout the entire world has been something that I've been interested in since I was a kid. I mean, my favorite books were always the ones that were mythology related. I have a whole shelf of different books, but the Norse mythology in particular has always really spoken to me. Um, and it's, it's just something that I find fascinating on a level that I'm not sure I can explain, to be honest. Seems reasonable to me. I mean, I have two degrees in Egypt Egyptology, so. There you go. <laughs> um, What's the best part about putting out a finished design for people to, to consume? And when you do that, do you, do you have any trepidation? Like, do you feel nervous when you're putting out something new for people to either look at or buy? I, yes, as a creative, I am always worried that I will put something out and nobody will notice it. <laughs> Because, you know, we creatives love our validation. Um, so it's, it's all, there's always some trepidation involved. Um, but I feel a lot of pride putting things out in that space to be able to say, hey, I did that. Uh, and sometimes, especially with social media the way it is, sometimes there will be recognition and sometimes it'll be crickets. And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but I also have times where earlier this year, I did a logo design for a new company and the guy who was my contact came, at, came back at me like a week ago and he's like, hey, I wanted to show you the picture of our sign that we just got put up and just let you know that everybody loves this still we get compliments on it all the time and you know he didn't have to come back and tell me any of that and it was fantastic that he did it made my entire day because it's just so nice to know that I something I made made someone's day better at the end of the day that's all I really want <laughs> You, you mentioned being a, being a creative and I, and there's lots of positives. Of course, I think that the ability to explore your muse and be your own boss, but what are the challenges associated with being a creator? Like, and, and how do you navigate those challenges? Oh, every day is a challenge, <laughs> especially in the last couple of years as I've, I've really gone primarily freelance um, and really tried to make a living off of it. That's hard. I mean, being my own boss is fantastic. Um, not knowing if I'm going to have enough jobs to make rent next month. That's hard. 
And it's, it's especially hard having to navigate the, I just want to make things, but also knowing that I've, I want to make a living off of it. I have to somehow figure out how to pimp myself. And I hate that. <laughs> yeah. Marketing yourself and harassing people for money, I think, are the two worst things about being a creative, if I had to guess. No, you are 100% there. And the close second is there's always that one client who is never satisfied. Oh, oh, yeah. And you go through all of this stuff and then you inevitably end up back at the beginning and they suddenly decide that decided that that first design was the best one anyway. And you're like, yes, yes, I could have told you that. <laughs> um, one of the things I learned along the way, especially with clients like that, is that um, I worked for a design studio for several years. Um, and it was, it was a fantastic experience because I learned so much, especially because we did printing there. So it, it really gave me an insight into how designs translate into a physical, um, which if you don't know printing, we saw so many designs come in that we had to, to figure out how to adjust. And it's really helped me with a lot of my work. But one of the things that my boss taught me was that you always have to kind of steer your client, especially when they don't know what they want. Um, or don't know anything about design. So you kind of have to coach them into things. And there are, there are little things like always giving design you know is a crap design so that they can see what a bad one is next to a good one. And it's, it's a hard thing to think about, but those are the things that you have to think about because I hate putting out awful things, <laughs> but sometimes you have to, you know? Looking at, looking at everything you're sort of doing now, what is the best part of doing what you do? Like if thinking about today or tomorrow or yesterday, what's the best part of your day? Just getting to make things, you know? And some days are extremely frustrating where nothing I put down works. I'll scrap 16 different versions because none of them are turning out the way I want them to, but there's always that one that just locks into place. And you're like, yes, that makes it all worth it. On that note, Kate, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening. Subscribe? Yes. No. If yes, okay, thanks. If no, why you hate me? It's always good having you here, and remember, if the die is cocked, it doesn't count. Forward to chatting with you again next week.